0: Uh, Sarah Yang, she's uh, currently in Arcadia, California. She's um, uh, seeking to get into media ministry uh, w- oh, to really get the gospel uh, to unchurch people, like get it into like the common language that people can really understand you know, and using media to really reach them, you know. Um, but uh, anyway, she is excited to come up and speak for us. Let's put our hands together to give her a warm welcome, Sarah Yang. Praise God. Come on, have some church up in the club, I like it, come on, this is what I'm talking about, oh, I'm so excited to be here, I'm going to actually start by giving you a word, is that right? All right, you in, uh, right there, yeah, you, the one who just looks sideways, the color of your top is really nice, by the way. All right, um, that's the word. That is the word. You're right. Amen. All right. No, um, I just the um, the verse I got from you is from Psalms, that I believe is uh, Psalm 51. That um, God is close to the brokenhearted, and He saves those who are uh, contrite in spirit. And I just felt like, um, just throughout life, you've had your heart broken like multiple times, and um, and God wants you to know He's going to mend you. As if it never even happened, and He's going to bring healing and and the pain in your heart that you felt feel like it does it won't go away. God is, it, I mean, I'm giving you this word because it's gonna, He's taking it away even right now. Like He is healing your heart, and the pain um, of yesterday is going to be removed. And it and God makes beauty out of ashes, and I love that about Him because ashes are irredeemable by man. You can't do anything good with ashes. We haven't learned to recycle ashes. We've learned to recycle trash, but not ashes. And there's things of your past that you regret as much as like as it's irredeemable. It's ash. But the Bible says that God makes beauty out of ashes. So what man cannot make beautiful or do anything good with, God will not only do good with it, he will make it beautiful. And so God's going to redeem it and make it even more beautiful than you know as if it didn't even happen like god's gonna so redeem you okay does that bear witness yeah okay praise god all right i'm gonna just jump right on in is that cool because i hear you guys have to get out at six and i have a lot to share with you guys so i'm just gonna jump right on in all right i'm gonna uh yeah all right i'll pray real quick Jesus, speak to us right now. Reveal yourself to us. Reveal your heart to us. Reveal your mind to us. Lord, give um, especially your heart for uh, this world, this broken, dying world, Lord God, for every single person walking on the streets outside. Give us your heart for them. Help us to see them as you do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I think it's so prophetic that you guys are here in a bar, okay? Um, about a few weeks back, I went to a bar for uh, with Andy for his friend's graduation, okay? And uh, I haven't been to a bar for a while, and I was just sitting there observing, and then Suddenly, like it just dropped in my spirit as I watched people just drinking and talking and checking each other out and all that stuff right uh, i I felt like God was saying, "This is a worship service. did you know that? Because people go there to worship, they try to find a guy or a girl to worship, tell them who they are, find their identity in. And be worshipped. Some come there to be worshipped. And then they also go there to fellowship. They go there for help. And they go there to be filled. And it says in the Bible, you know, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And they go there because they want to be filled. They feel fill this void, and they're like, I want to... How can I fill it? Okay, let me buy myself a drink and have another drink and have another drink and, and that will fill this. And w- while I was there, I um, well, a guy bought a drink for me. All right, so I I was like, okay, I, that has That has happened before. I was like, what? And um, and um, I started talking to him, and you know, we started talking a lot. And then you know, I asked him very bluntly, Why are you here? And he got quiet. And he told me he is here because his mother passed away and he's depressed. And we started talking about God and he was really open. And it hit me. This is where people go when they're hurting. And if we're not there, then who's going to be there? We're going to... We're going to miss out on a whole generation of people dying. And if we don't raise up, somebody else will. You know, I've been thinking about Lady Gaga, all right? <laughs> that girl is popular, all right? I, in February, I went to Taiwan. And, uh, and, you know, I was just walking around. And I was staying with this family. And... You know, as soon as they found out I was from America, you know, they couldn't speak English. But they started singing like, la, 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 la. And they just were singing to me. And they, they knew the lyrics and they couldn't speak English. And I was just, I was shocked by this. And everywhere I go, you know, this, I have a heart for our generation, the young, younger generation. And I'm like, why in the world is Lady Gaga, in two years, in less than two years, she has overtaken the world? And so I decided I want to research her. I want to figure out what, what's her story. And so I watched an interview with her on Barbara Walters. And it turns out she grew up a Catholic schoolgirl in a very tight-knit, conservative Italian family. And... Barbara Walters asked her, What is the biggest misconception about you? And she said, The biggest misconception that people have of me is why I'm doing this. People think I'm doing this because I'm artificial, I'm attention seeking, when the truth is that every bit of me is devoted to love and art. And I aspire to be a teacher to my young fans who felt just like I felt when I was younger. And then Barbara Walters asked her, what did you feel like when you were younger? And she said, I felt like a freak. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I want to liberate them. I want to free them of their fears and make them feel like they can create their own space in the world. A couple nights ago at the Niagara Conference, I talked about freedom. Steve Chua, he's a mentor of mine, he defines freedom as being comfortable in your own skin. And I also talked about freedom, meaning that we all are created to be judged. But originally, before the fall, there was only one judge, and that was God. And he judges as loved. Do you know freedom, in the original meaning, means free, which means loved, beloved, and then dumb, doom means judged. That means you're judged to be loved. And when you are judged to be loved, you are free. You have freedom. You feel comfortable in your own skin. This is what Lady Gaga is trying to give to the world. Yes, it's fallen, it's broken, it is messed up. And the way she does it is by dressing up as a bloody, you know, uh, I don't know, zombie, you know, walking around, all right? But she's trying to make people feel so comfortable. That's what she talked about. She's like, if I'm the biggest freak in the room, then everybody else will feel comfortable. That's what she's trying to do. And you know what? A generation is responding to that. Because they want freedom. Freedom. This generation is crying out for freedom. And you know what? If we don't step up to display what true freedom looks like, we are going to leave room for the enemy to create the counterfeit. And we don't have to look at all the reminders like if you look at the hippie movement in the sixties, we you know, I feel in my spirit we're on the brink of another hippie movement if we if something doesn't happen. I mean, we already are. It's the most rampant sexual drug, you know, everything, alcohol, sex. I mean, go going into the bars and clubs, they are so popular. Why? Because they're searching for something. And the hippie movement was searching for spirituality. Did you know that? That's why they turned to drugs and all these weird Eastern religions. Because the church was not showing them the true spirituality. Steve Chua told me once, he he said, the reason why the feminist movement happened is because the church never stood up and showed what women were supposed to look like and be. We're supposed to be the head, not the tail. We're supposed to show the world what it really looks like instead of the world going, oh, huh, we don't know what it looks like for women to play their proper roles. Let's try to figure this out. And I believe right now, our generation is crying out for identity because there's a generation of orphans who were never mothered and fathered and told you know part of what fathers do is speak identity into us and I I don't have to tell you how broken our homes are I grew up in a broken home I'm, I'm sure many of you have experienced that unfortunately So we were not mother and father, so we're running around and asking everybody, Mommy, who am I? Daddy, who am I? And I want to talk to us as Christians what is our attitude towards this broken generation? Have you ever wondered if you want to really turn to Luke chapter 15, 11 through 32, please. Okay, I'm going to summarize it, but you guys can refer to it as as I we went over this earlier uh, in the conference, but it's a it's the parable of the prodigal son. All right, the last time I talked about it was We focus on the older brother, right? The attitude of the older brother, which I still want to focus on. But, okay, the father, throughout this story, is amazing, correct? I mean, if you think about it, for the younger son to even have the guts to approach his father and say, I want my inheritance, means that he knows that this father is a good father, Like, if you had a really abusive father, would you go up to him and go, Hey, give me money. Like, I want my inheritance. No, he's going to beat you down. But he knew that this father was a good father, and that if he asked, he would get it. And so he asked. So did the younger son have a problem with the father? Based on what we can gather from this story, the parable of the prodigal son, where... Okay, raise your hand if you know the story, because... I could give a quick son. All right, pretty much everybody. All right. But it's the story of the younger son who wants his inheritance early, which is saying to the father, like, you're as good as dead to me. I want my money before you even die. And takes off and spends it on prostitutes and, you know, wild living. All right? And gambling. And then the older brother is the, the good one throughout the story. Now... Have you ever asked yourself, why did the prodigal son leave in the first place? If the father was such a good father, why why would he leave? Think about the older brother. Think about if you lived with an older brother that was perfect, that never did anything wrong, that, you know, like he served so diligently, and he, you know, anything, you know, that needed to be done, he could do it, and he could do it, and then some, you know, he was the top of his class, you know, the alpha male, the man. And what we can gather from this story is that the older brother was a a little bit self-righteous, as we see later on in the story, by saying, you know, I've served you for all these years. Never did anything wrong. And yet, when the son of yours, son of yours... He doesn't even call him his brother. That shows his attitude towards his brother right there. I don't even... He's, he's not even worthy to be called my brother because I'm the man. And that guy is not the man. So I don't even be related to him. He's your son. He ain't even my brother. Could it be that the younger son could not live in the shadow of his self-righteous brother. Could it be that Lady Gaga and plenty of others in our generation have left the church because they're sick of being compared to the self-righteous brothers and sisters? Jesus came for sinners. In Matthew 9:11 through 13, it says when the Pharisees saw this, Jesus hanging out with the sinners, they asked his disciples, "Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners?" On hearing this, Jesus said, "It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick." We go and learn what this means. I, deserve, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came for the broken and the hurting. If you want to even get a picture of what heaven's going to look like, turn to Luke 14 and read. Verses 12 through 24. I'll just read quickly. The parable of the bank wedding banquet or the great banquet. It says that the man invited to the banquet all of the rich neighbors, the friends, the brothers, the relatives. And they wouldn't come. And so he said, then go invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. When we get to heaven, when we sit down at the wedding banquet, we will be shocked at what fills the table of the master, of our king. It will probably be the people you walk by every day and think, wow, how pathetic are they? You feel sorry for them. In the documentary, Furious Love, have you guys heard about that? I highly recommend you watch this documentary. But there's this pastor in the documentary And he had a dream that his church had people drinking and smoking and having sex in the church. And he got so angry and filled with indignation that he yelled at them and said, Get out! You are not worthy to be in God's house. Get out! This is holy ground. Leave. And in the dream, God spoke resoundingly, do not kick out those who I've called in to my house. Please don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying that we stay in sin when we come into those four doors, I mean those doors. That's not what I'm saying at all, but they will come in and we can't kick them back out. And you know what? As much as I want to have them come in and then once they get saved, they never ever do anything wrong. That's not the way it works. The father's house is full of broken people in progress, in process. Did the prodigal son get cleaned up before he went home? Did he, you know, get all put on a suit, you know, get a job, get get some status, you know, get married, become an upstanding citizen, and saying, "Father, I can come home now. I'm all cleaned up." But I want to tell you why we don't like sinners, (laughs) because I I don't like sinners. I am a sinner, but you know what I'm saying. We don't feel safe around broken people, all right? Pastor Benjamin gave me a nice word last night about how Aletheia, you know, though she doesn't mean it, scratched his face and, and he was bleeding. You know, if you're going to love on people, they're going to scratch you and they're going to bite you. Like, Pastor Ben said that to me last night. If we love, we will get hurt. (laughs) I'm sorry. I, you know, I think it was Mother Teresa who said, if you love more, you will hurt more. But the love is so good, it's as if the hurt didn't even happen. I have been learning to love and it hurts like heck. I've been learning to love people who are very broken. I am still learning to love people who are very broken. Thank you, Pastor Ben. (laughs) And let's be honest. We are afraid of getting hurt. That's why we don't like broken people. And so we avoid them. And we make up religious excuses. Like, you know, they're not following the rules and regulations. They need to leave. The real reason why we don't like broken people is because we don't feel safe and we're not willing to admit to ourselves and to God that we don't trust them enough to protect us. And that we don't trust them enough to heal them as broken and messed up and s- stupid as they are sometimes. I mean, think about why, you know, God calls us sheep. There is not a dumber animal on planet Earth. Did you guys know that? They will follow each other off a cliff. I mean, they are dumb. And when they get caught in like a bush, they can't free themselves. They're just... That's us. When we get caught in Sid, we can't get ourselves out. We need to stop trying to hide behind these religious masks and, and, and try to make up the excuses on why we're trying to control people. And say, they broke the rules, they broke the regulations. Let's get, let's get them out of here. If we cannot be the people in where they can come to and be healed and restored, then where can they go? They'll go to the clubs and the bars. And they'll drink themselves to death. Jesus is the standard, correct? Jesus was a friend of Judas. That that blows my mind. He knew, because he was fully God and fully man, that this this guy would, would utterly betray him and hand him over to be killed, to be crucified. Now, okay, first of all, we, nobody likes betrayal. But what if you knew somebody would betray you? Would you hang out with them? Would you call them your friend? Did you know, actually, in Scripture... There's only one disciple that Jesus called friend. And it was when Judas kissed him in betrayal. And what did Jesus call him? He said, friend, why have you come? We are to be a friend of sinners. Friend of the broken. We are to be associated with them. Jesus was a sh- he wasn't afraid of his reputation as being the ri- rabbi who hung out at the clubs and at the bars cuz really that's what it, it says in Matthew 11:19 he is a fr- he was called a friend of sinners he was mistakenly called a glutton and a drunkard cuz he hung out so much with the sinners are we afraid are we afraid as believers I'm not saying don't do this without wisdom. We need to go in pairs in accountability. Because, yeah, it's harder to pick, pull somebody up than for them to pull you down. So, yes, I'm not saying just go out and just party with them and just use it as an excuse of saying I'm being a friend of sinners. Okay, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying Is that we need to stop being a self-righteous older brother and thinking that we're better than them because we're not. Maybe we got more cleaned up than them, but that doesn't make us better than them. It makes the Father all that more greater in our lives. It's by grace we have been saved, not by our works. It says in Romans eleven sixteen that if it were by works, then it would no longer be called grace. I'm going to tell you how it's going to help you, how you can help yourself in changing your attitude towards the broken. And you know, it involves (laughs) seeing your own brokenness. I, um, this one man really annoyed me to no end. The moment I met him, he irritated me like like sandpaper on my skin. You know, I'm just like, and I would just want to get away from him all the time. But the unfortunate part is that uh, Steve Chua was discipling him, and Steve Chua was discipling me too. So I had to, if I wanted to hang out with Steve, I had to hang out with this guy, and he was just, you know in my eyes, he's very brash, arrogant, you know, like, always talking about himself, always talking about how, you know, how big his ministry is, and, you know, all that stuff, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, please kill him, Lord. You know, I I'm, mean, I'm, I'm just being honest, like, can I be honest? And, and finally, <laughs> finally, you know, in my self-righteous attitude, like, oh, I'm better than you, look at you, 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 you know, you Pharisee, you, and, uh, <laughs> Which is so ironic, because I was being the Pharisee, but whatever. Um, So after, you know, I finally was so up to here with this guy. You know, Steve called me. He's like, hey, you know, tomorrow we're going to hang out with, uh, you know, this guy. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I just said, all right, Steve, can I be honest with you? I don't like him. He goes, oh, why not? I said, I think he's brash. He's arrogant. All he talks about is himself and his ministry. And it drives me mad. He's like, it's so weird, right? And then he just said, okay, so I'll see you at 3. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. It, uh. But you know what I did? I brought it to the light. I brought it into the light. I I, I told another person how I really felt that was keeping me accountable, And when I saw him, I suddenly felt this warm love for him. (laughs) And he was just like himself, but I was just like, man. And, oh, yeah, the day before Steve told me, he's like, do you know his background? And then he told me, and that's when I was like, oh, man. Because he came from, his parents were... Um, his mom was a prostitute. His dad, he doesn't even know who his dad is. And um, and just told me a little bit more about him. And, and so when I saw him, I just like f- felt this overwhelming compassion for him. And then as we were talking, he suddenly breaks down crying. And I see his heart. And I just, I just... beautiful to me, you know? And it says in 1 John 1, 7 But if we walk in the light as He is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son purifies us from all sin. I had a sin of judgment. Okay? I ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and I judged my brother, which it says in Scripture do not judge lest you be judged. Alright? And When I confessed and brought into the light my sin of judgment towards my brother, I didn't cleanse myself. Jesus' blood washed over me and gave me a grace and a love for him. It says in scripture, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. You know, if you want to deal with your self-righteousness and your judgment, start confessing what you believe about people. And you will see your own brokenness and you will see the grace of God come into you as you ask for forgiveness. And when he gives you grace, you can't help but to give him grace because the Bible says we love because Christ first loved us. We cannot give what we don't receive. We have to receive God's grace in order to give God's grace. I really believe that we are on the brink of a move of God. And we are already seeing the, the trickles of it. You know, I've, right now I'm doing a Bible study and a prayer meeting with these brand new believers. One of them owns the biggest clubs in Taiwan, used to be the main drug trafficker into Taiwan. He had a radical encounter with God, supernatural, where he got delivered of demons for hours by himself. <laughs> it was r- ridiculous. And then another uh, person I'm helping to disciple is a former Playboy playmate who was on drugs for ten years. She did drugs so much, like I, man, she went, she burned through a hundred grand in a year on drugs. And she also had a supernatural encounter with God. Yes, I am so glad that is happening, you know. But Steve Chua says something that kind of convicted me. He said. I'm so glad that Jesus is showing up to people supernaturally and sovereignly. But could it be that God has to show up supernaturally to them because they're not going to see Jesus any other way? Oh my gosh. Ouch. we are in the midst of a move of God. God is, his heart breaks for this generation, this broken, dying, orphan generation. But what is our attitude towards them? And what about when they do come in? Do you know? So, I I know I talk about Steve a lot, but he's like the man to me. I I mean, he really has shown me what Jesus is like. Because we are to be Christ to people. And, um, he did a study of all the revivals of the past, all the outpourings of the Spirit. And you know what ended every revival? Well, what started happening that, like, around the time that the revival started dying out? They started emphasizing things like, women, you can't show your knees. Hippies, Jesus movement, you have to cut your hair. It is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil if you're going to focus on people's outward appearances. Let me tell you something. When God transforms you on the inside, you can't help but to change on the outside. But if you try to change people on the outside, then that's called the religious spirit. You try to make them holy from the outside in, it doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit works it from the inside out. That's how holiness happens. One of the most painful things that happened to me is when I first got saved, I was forced into wearing dresses and dating men. You know my testimony, I thought I was a guy. It's not that God didn't want to do that in me, but God wanted to teach me from the inside out what it meant to be a woman. And when people, you know, Christians, well-meaning Christians, start telling me, okay, you're a Christian now, okay, you need to start wearing dresses, and you need to start dating men. What I heard is Jesus will not love and accept you in his, uh, in his church unless you change. He will change people. God loves us out of sin. His love cannot help but to change us from the inside out. And our job is to love. The first two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Our job is not to convict people. Our job is not to judge people. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of all truth. Our job is to love. Okay. I'll just say a couple more things. My mom is Buddhist. And every time we start talking about religion, it gets very heated, okay? And one day, you know, we got into a four-hour argument about Buddhism versus Christianity, okay? and I talked about all the ways that why Buddhism is wrong, and she talked to me about why Christianity is just another Buddha, okay? And we just went off and on and on and on, and I started quoting scriptures to her, and she started telling me, you know, Buddhas, you know, there's a thousand Buddhas, Jesus is a Buddha, and all. And I was getting really offended, I was getting really angry. And then, after this argument, I'm huffing and puffing, and I'm and I was feeling hatred, honestly, you know? And God spoke to me. He said, Why did you argue with her? And he said to me, You know, people only get defensive about things that they're insecure about. Are you insecure about me being God? My job is to love her. You know, arguments, it doesn't win hearts, it wins enemies. I made an enemy of my mom that day. And scripture is very clear on what we're supposed to do with enemies. We're We're supposed to love them. Jesus won people over with love. And even when they didn't change, it said that he hung out with the sinners and it doesn't mean like all of them, you know, completely just got saved right then and there. He hung out with them and they still drank and they still did stuff because why would he call, be called a drunken, you know, a drunkard and a glutton if, if they weren't drinking and eating like mad in his presence? But they felt comfortable around him enough that they still did it, but they knew that they were loved. This is hard. I want people to change. Don't get me wrong, I do. It breaks my heart when I see them doing things that destroy themselves. But I know if I try to outwardly change them, it's only going to cause them to pull away from me, not draw closer. You know, as I've been discipling, you know, this uh, former Playboy Playmate, I have been so challenged in how religious I am. <laughs> First of all, when I, talked to, when I first started talking to her, I didn't make any sense to her. And I was like, why not? I'm speaking Bible. Why don't you understand me? <laughs> and I realized I was speaking churchianity, and I didn't know it. And then I, I had a revelation why Jesus spoke in parables. Because he wanted people to understand him. Everyday people. He spoke about God through farming through pearls, through stuff that everybody, every day can understand. That's why I'm going into media because I believe stories are a vehicle into helping people understand who God is. And so I started having to tell, you know, I'd be telling her principles and she would, huh, what, what? You know, I don't get it. And then I had to think about telling stories in which biblical principles were demonstrated, just like Jesus Do you speak churchianity? (laughs) One of the things that she asked me to do is attend her AA graduation. And there I understood that they were living out biblical principles. You know the 12 steps of the AA? Those are biblical principles. First thing you have to do is admit that you're... Messed up, you're a sinner, basically. Admit that you're a sinner and you cannot help yourself. This thing is too big for you. You cannot fix yourself. That's why they start off by saying, Hi, I'm Sarah, I'm an alcoholic. They say it because they want to say, I am not able to change myself. This is who I am outside of the help of God. And that's the second rule. The second rule, after they admit that they're broken and in need, they say they have to believe in a power greater than themselves. And they say actually using the twelve steps than God that the only way they can change is if they ask God to help them. Ask God to change them. And one of the other steps is confessing, admitting to people what you've done wrong. Isn't that Christianity? That's what the church is supposed to be. We come and we say, We're broken, we, we cannot change ourselves, we we need a power greater than ourselves. And we confess our shortcomings to one another. And then they pray, they actually pray and say, "God, would you change us because we cannot change ourselves?" and after they go through this um, accountability that's one of the other steps is that they have to stay accountable if they want to change after they after God starts changing them, they're supposed to go out and share this message with others that's church. But they put it in the language that people can understand. And, you know, part of my, uh, my friend coming, growing closer to God was through AA. You know, as I've been you know discipling her, so many of the principles I teach her, she's going, oh, that's what AA teaches. And then I found out the founders of AA were Christians. And they actually, she told me that they had a supernatural encounter with God, that God, God gave them the blueprint on how to do this, help alcoholics out of alcoholism. I want to wrap up with this. Like I said earlier, the only way we can give grace is if we receive it for ourselves. I want to ask you, what do you do when you do something you cannot fix? You make a mess you can't clean up. What do you do? He told me that when his kids, one of his favorite times with his kids is when they they break something that they can't fix. And then they say, Daddy, can you help me? Can you help me fix this? And I realized that's what God is like. He knows that we break things we can't fix. He knows we make messes we cannot clean up. And we will be tempted to run and hide like Adam and Eve when we make those mistakes, when we sin. We'll run into Facebook, movies, you know, games, pornography, alcohol. Or you try to fix it by, you know, getting super religious. But when you come before God and become, come before your family here, And you ask for help. This will kill any religious spirit you might have. Any pride you might have. Any shame you might have. And you learn not to judge. I've, I've recently started to radically be honest with people. Like, do you guys remember like uh, two nights ago... Um I said over the mic after I did the altar call thing, I said, I feel awkward, right? And then I got back down <laughs> because I am so in the habit that if I feel insecure, if I feel awkward, I will say it out loud and people will minister to me in that place. Like that's what I do now. I tell people how I really feel and they go, oh, you know, and they just give me a hug. That's how my church, you know, I've learned to be at my church. We need each other. I pray that the Father's house will truly be the Father's house where the prodigal sons can come home. Where people like Lady Gaga who got so hurt by the religious spirit, you know, she had to dress a certain way, act a her way. If she didn't, she was shunned and rejected. She was thought of as a freak. I pray and I know that this community is called to be a place where people come just as they are and they encounter God and His love, and they are transformed, and they go back out and get some more of their friends because this stuff is good. Thank you, God. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Just keep your eyes closed. For those of you who are at the conference, I talked about Don Quixote and how he, as a prince, came to love the village whore into becoming Dulcinea, a princess. She did not believe that she was worthy to be loved, worthy to be seen as a princess, beautiful. And everybody made fun of her. You guys know my story. I, you know, was it homosexuality and a devil worshiper? And God encountered me with his love. And you know what the cool thing about God is? He calls that which is not as though it were. And he loved me into becoming Sarah, a princess, a mother of nations. So right now, I want you to ask God to show you in your left hand someone that he wants you to be a Don Quixote to. And you might see the most broken, messed up, annoying person in your life. The most jacked up, the most like, you know, okay, think maybe a transgender that you know. Maybe an alcoholic you know. Maybe a drug dealer. Maybe a quote unquote whore that you know. Holy Spirit, show us in our left hand. the person you want us to be a Don Quixote to, even as you're a Don Quixote to us. Now in your right hand, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to show you what that person looks like to him. Remember, he calls things that are not as though it were. It might be the complete opposite of what they are right now. They might be the worst criminal that you know, and God's called them to be a freedom fighter. Holy Spirit, show us. And right now, I'm going to ask you if you're ready to toss away what they look like in the natural to you in your left hand. Toss away, burn it, do something with it, but get rid of it. You're not going to judge them that way anymore by their outward appearance. They're not the jerk you thought they were, they were not the loser. the freak you thought they were. And when you're ready, I want you to put your right hand into your heart and say, I will carry this person in my heart and love them as Jesus loves them. And, and by the grace of God, I will love them to a place of changing but it won't be through me. It will be through the Holy Spirit because it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. It will be His kindness, His grace that will change them, not us. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.